Welcome to Detox with D-Rich, where we talk and learn from inspirational members of our community and beyond. Now, from the Little Apple in Manhattan, Kansas, a man that is more perspiration than inspiration, your host, Derek Richards. Welcome back, everybody, to Detox, the podcast. I am your host, Derek Richards, and uh, we are getting into another great podcast. I'm very thankful for everybody who listens to this podcast and finds it enjoyable and a good detox to your to your day. And today's kind of a cool day because we are trying out this on YouTube. What? That's Aaron Estabrook, by the way, everybody. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's always it's always hard to have a formal start in these sort of things. Like, how do you shake hands on a podcast? I, I fist bump. Okay, right. we, can, we can do that. Okay, but I'm really thankful that we are actually going to try this video Joe Rogan professional podcast thing on YouTube. So here we go. This is it. This is great, and I am thankful that you're my first guest on the video. And I'm thankful to be your first guest, and hopefully not your last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, uh, uh, I think that'd be a, a tragedy for sure. Uh, Aaron, thank you for coming on the the podcast, and we're going to talk today. We're going to get into things, and uh, I've just been thankful over the last year and a half. I've got to get to know you personally. Yes, we've been hanging out a little bit. So uh, I met you through a mutual friend with uh, Scott Seal, I think, the, yeah. t- the tallest realtor in Manhattan. Facts. Um, and it's been a good friend uh, love affair between <laughs> us, I think, ever since. Uh, yeah. We, we got to know each other in kind of uh, in, in various capacities, but uh, we, I think, realized that uh, we had a lot in common and could get along pretty well. We, we enjoyed the sarcasm. Yes, and uh, you 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 tend to cook the sarcasm to a, a good boil quite often. Yes, you like you like the flavor. Yeah, I like to boil it down. I like to get that good thick sarcasm. Right, I, that uncomfortable sarcasm. There's there's some awkwardness, and then there's just some laughter, and and everyone's like, "Oh, I hope that's okay." Right. He yeah. just made fun of you know a car crash, and I'm yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. I find humor in things. It's it's perfect. Yeah. I like it. So, <laughs> transition. Um, you, we were on, you were on my podcast when I was doing it with Ben Sigel, and we brought you on in a more professional manner talking about... Oh, Aaron, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do real quick, because I, I think that's important. Well, now on the top of my resume, it says, first guest on Detox. Thank uh, you. YouTube version, yep. and then below that, I am, uh, I am a father of two daughters mm-hmm. that are ten and, and five, and uh, and you just moved, and we just moved, and it se- celebrated our second anniversary. I've been married two years, and the city commissioner. Congratulations um, on the city commissioner and your marriage. Yeah, yeah. I'm up for re-election, so I don't know if I'll be here next year as a city commissioner, but uh, I am today, um, and uh, I work as the executive director for the Housing Authority. That's brand new. That's that's new since March. I used to be at Job Corps, mm-hmm. and uh, 
I I just apparently like to serve in public capacity roles. Housing is a really big deal, and that's one of the things I think you and I have connected on mm-hmm. um, in various different angles. But housing has been such a big deal to in my life since uh, since I got out of the military um, and started working with homeless veterans. It was that housing first aspect, access to quality and affordable housing, huge. Uh, it's we it's a basic common need i mean we need to breathe right we need sure. air we need Shel- water we need shelter and then and then, love then there's that shelter right like yeah. house the house we need we need something that we can sleep in before we take care of the rest of these uh, other needs so well how did you know that that was the direction you were heading that you know when this this uh, uh this position opened up but what what is it about this new uh career ch- path that you know was was enticing to you well, it was a. Uh, I I I kind of fell in love with the idea of being able to deliver that public good. I was with homeless uh, veterans in 2012 and 13 when I got out of the army, and then had had transitioned into different political roles and did some things uh, where I was able to work with Casa, um, work with kids there, and then also out at Job Corps. But when the opportunity to go back to serving housing, because housing is a barrier no matter where and what type of person you are, um, you need to have that house. And so the the people that we were serving that were most vulnerable that I felt, you know, this passion to serve um, being kids or young adults that are coming into the workforce that are coming out of poverty, they had housing needs, too. I'd go to the city commission need meetings. There was an unaffordable housing crisis uh, going on. And then um, we're talking about, you know, edu- uh, students being able to find homes. Work, work People, 60% of, well, a majority of the city employees don't even live in the city because they can't afford to. Wow. And it's, it's just uh, Is such it- a big issue that, I if I had an opportunity to be in charge of what is that housing authority and start tackling that problem, chipping away at it, I how I, I couldn't walk away from that opportunity. I'm lucky enough to to have been chosen to do it. Well, so if someone was to like, if you were to give someone a bumper sticker response of what does housing authority do, what are you working on? I know you work in that yeah. very tall building by the. Uh, <laughs> By the mail, the yeah, by the post office, by the post office, by the mail, but the, the, the mail, mail thing, office. the the blue box thing where I stick mail. Yeah, yeah. I've, I got a very caveman understanding of how things work. Pony Express, right? That's coming back. I hear. Yeah, it's maybe faster <laughs> in some places. Yeah. Um, the tallest building in Manhattan. You work out of there, right? Uh, yeah, and I go. But up that's on- not the only place you you know you're you're managing. But yes, yes, it is where our office is, and it has. Um, a great view from the roof, um, 12th story. Oh uh, yeah. 12. Yeah. 12 stories. I, I just, is it the tallest building? It is. By oh f- wow. Yeah. I mean, you really can't get over five without having some issues. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, but what does the housing authority do? The housing authority provides housing, public housing and section eight or housing choice vouchers to the community. And, um, we serve about a thousand people every month in low income. They're income eligible, um, but when we say low income, that's becoming a little taboo because it's really 
you only if you're making forty three thousand dollars a year as an individual, that's considered low income. That's you qualify for public housing in Manhattan. Gotcha. So any any entry level teacher, anybody that's you know most entry level positions at K State, most entry level positions across the community, yeah. um, qualify for public housing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say, in my opinion, that that seems like a high like high income for for those sort of benefits, but. But the cost of housing is so high that um, that's where it's at. That's where it's at, huh? Yeah. But let me push back because, I mean, I was a college student at one time. You know, I worked at restaurants and the bowling alley and made minimum wage and was able to pay my rent. And I didn't have children, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, what? but obviously I lived with other people who maybe uh, we, we worked together to pay the rent, pay the mortgage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's kind of why, where I'm coming from. I I also, let's be honest, I had privileges of parents that also paid for a lot of other things, you know, um, right? health insurance and stuff like that. Well, the, the, the baseline there is 30% of your income that you make mm-hmm. should be what you use to pay for your shelter yeah. or your house. Mortgage companies are kind, that, of, are kind of the same, yeah. same principle. 30, yeah. 30% is just kind of the standard across the board. Yeah. And... That that means if you to be able to pay thirty percent of what it costs to rent in Manhattan, it's forty three thousand dollars a year is what you need to be making. Wow, that's so it's not just a arbitrary number. It's that's the number. No, I wouldn't say arbitrary is the you know the point I'm making. It's a I, I kind of lean towards more of like oh. If someone was making $43,000 a year, I feel like they could have a fairly comfortable lifestyle, but I could be totally wrong. Um, I, th- I, I would I, need to be exposed to more data to have a really firm opinion on that. I think uh, if we were in the 90s, you would be correct. Okay. But, but we're not, mm-hmm. and things have changed. And that's that's kind of what we have to fight as, a, um, as we get older. Mm-hmm. I, I think we can think of... I can hear... The eighty-year-olds out there saying, "You know, I used to buy a house, right. and I paid it for it out different. of my pocket." And sure. Like, yeah. So we got to remember that you know, forty years of of change has passed, and and incomes haven't kept up with the cost of living. Gotcha. Yeah. So are I would assume that people want to utilize the services that you're providing is so are you at capacity or yeah well there's definitely more there's a there's a much longer list of people that need that um public housing or section eight um than there are units available so we're the right we're we're certainly at capacity in that realm but we're about 93 percent capacity in reality because it there's some turnover that requires time and people leave and but we're we're pretty full yeah and you've you've jumped into this role yes yes and and you're 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 learning new things and and trying to organize this this uh this organization to to fit your brain capacity how's how's that been um well luckily my brain capacity has never been uh (laughs) a qualifying (laughs) problem (laughs) um but i i have uh I've had to learn quite a bit, quite a, quite a, we've had, I jumped, I inherited quite a few deferred maintenance issues, okay. um, things that are just, have been neglected. And, and part of that's by design um, from HUD underfunding things, but yeah, 
it's it's uh like we we tough. We cleaned out that apartment yes. that one day. Yes, you, this, this apartment that was full of stuff for yeah. like over a year. Is that right? Yeah, it had I sat there. This, I hate to stop it, but no, we're fine. We just died right here. Oh, that's okay. Well, you know I, what? I, uh, I tell you what, though, I forgot about this. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're back. We had a little uh, video. Yeah, complications, technical difficulties. You were talking about helping us clean out that uh, that that building that our one that of was the yeah yeah family came yeah we we took all the stuff out got it ready is it has it been filled yet yes I believe it has or it's uh, got somebody lined up for it at least but that was a perfect example of like hey we got this you know roadblock this mm-hmm. hurdle that we have to overcome to get these people a nice three bedroom yep house yep two story place to live. And all we need is someone to clean it out, and there was a... Get it cleaned out, and get you it guys knocked out. it out in about two hours, and it was great. Yeah, we had another unit that day, which mm-hmm. wasn't as bad, but... Yeah, much appreciated. Dude, it was good. We brought the kids, and I thought that was really good for them to see kind of different life in Manhattan, Kansas. Yes. Because it's true. There are people that need help and that need uh, space and... Uh, I'm thankful that we have a place that at least can service that. We, do we need more spaces? Yes. Maybe is the question. Uh, we, de- we definitely do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we, we need a um, probably temp- more temporary emergency space as well, especially for folks that are um, unab- un- unwilling to, to not be sober. Um, gotcha. So that, that's a problem, I think that we are beginning to discuss people that are struggling with dual diagnoses of mental health and uh, substance abuse or alcohol abuse. And that leads them to homelessness, but they aren't able to get into the shelter because of those issues. So they don't have anywhere to live, but outside. And uh, do other you know, cities have, you Mm -hmm. know, examples of helping people like this? Yes. So like, for, I mean, Salina has a place that's called. Uh, it's it's wrapped into Grace. Um, is is part of the name, I guess. And that I mean is giving somebody grace, right? Sure. Uh, to to find a way to get clean, but um, also providing that shelter temporarily. We don't have anything like that. We don't have anything that's a warming shelter in the winter. Um, and we do have an increasing number of people that are. Uh, sleeping by the river in tents, uh, staying unaccompanied out at the I lake. noticed that when I go running that, you know, is, is that a is that just a, a thing that the city turns their eye, you know, away from, just allowing that to happen just because people need a place to sleep or? Well, I... what the, is, I guess what's the city's opinion about that? Do they have an opinion? It's not really a city issue i mean that i think that's where people i didn't know i didn't know I, if anybody I, cared i mean we <laughs> care but people care in the sense that because they're over the levee they're kind of blocked from people's vision so it's kind of like out of sight out of mind like people just hey if as long as they're over there that's totally cool but is that even city property oh i don't know no it's oh it's not, not it's not okay that, you're talking about the levee that's the corps of engineers federal ah so there's like no jurisdiction there i mean no. Uh, so, and those folks often are unwilling to, they, they're choosing that lifestyle. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So, it, the city involvement is, 
not the answer, not the right answer. And in, in getting and police are aware and people have, have gone over there, officers go over there, um, stuff like that to, to offer assistance or help. But um, it's it's not just there, though. The, the There's more homeless folks staying on corners uh, downtown and mm-hmm. walk there. I see them more often around and it's not just the panhandlers on the corner by Walmart. It's, it's, uh, folks that are, are literally, you know, they're, they're sleeping on benches and stuff around town. And if you don't look, you might not see them, but they're, they're more and more. I even heard like K state campus is a pretty good place for people to find places to, to hide or find yeah. a rest. There was certain some secret certain spots. Actually, some homeless veterans were uh, sneaking into the barracks and had on on post and lived in uh, abandoned barracks for six wow. months. Wow, <laughs> gotcha. Well, I mean, speaking of kind of the, the alcoholism, I mean, that was one thing that I really wanted to kind of bring up, and I think <clears throat> your story is a good one for most people to hear, especially because you you are in recovery. Yeah, and uh, something that you've battled with, and yeah. How do how, can you kind of tell us what what that journey been has been like for you? Yeah, so uh, alcohol was probably um, got uh, around my freshman year of high school. Really, sure. like I, I kind of got introduced in um, so growing up in Southwest Kansas. Field parties, drinking, weekends, pretty, high school. Pretty common. Yeah, it's it's normal stuff. It's the stuff of and I and I uh, I kind of found a way. Um, to connect with people that were I wouldn't otherwise if because I was often hosting those events or organizing them, <laughs> and so alcohol was pretty important uh, part of my recreation life, I guess. Uh, and into college, and I worked as a bartender in um in downtown at Finns. Did you uh, um for two years in college? And I love Finns. Uh, yeah, Finns is great. Finns is a great establishment especially and, for a townie because we have right. a pl- we have a place that we can kind of go that's a little bit off the beaten path that's not in aggieville and um, yeah yeah it's a good 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 people it, it is great um but then <laughs> i but have uh kind of had some reflection and the times that for me i i'm not capable of drinking one or two and then walking away calling it good i i really am a a binge drinking type of person and i think that is why i mentioned it high school like i never really got out of that uh mindset of where if i'm gonna drink i'm gonna drink as much as i can and then i'm gonna pass out or or be stupid or whatever and um that doesn't work when you're an adult sure and uh, the cases or the, the, the times that I've had um, some struggles in my life or uh, like a, obviously a DUI, but that's that's just one example. Uh, there, there's been situations where I've had arguments with friends or, or anything that's really been pretty negative or bad in my life. I can almost always point that it, alcohol was involved there was a factor um yeah it was it was a factor and so cutting that out of my life was the was the only decision i thought that made sense because I, I i had to accept that i couldn't 
I couldn't be one of those people that had a couple drinks and, and called it good. And I don't particularly want to drink. Um, was it a, was it a rock bottom moment or was it a moment of, okay, I've lied to myself for too long and I just need to come under the authority that I can't help myself in this realm. I need help from, from other people. I think it was, it was both. It was definitely a rock bottom. Um, so that rock bottom being, uh, such a, such a public, uh, display of my mistake, uh, with being somebody that was running for city commission and getting a DUI, um, was, was certainly a lot of public shame, which, which, uh, played a factor perhaps, but more importantly, it's it was, just e- it's just easy for people just to discredit you. Yeah, for sure, and and um, I I think there was there was a period of time where there was a, a handful of people that would reach out to me and give me support, and I didn't want to let them down, um, and I didn't want to prove the haters right, you know, and so that kind of motivated me in a different way, but. Um, it really comes back to my family and my wife and, and just wanting to do the right thing and be present and not, um, not get caught up in being an alcoholic or in situations where I'm abusing alcohol and not, not being present for them. And therefore when they need me during their own struggles. So how would you describe sobriety? Um, I think that the first, uh, couple months maybe it was like especially early early on um it was like how is it possible to have fun and not drink is it possible to like there was so many different things going to dinner or uh just going going to a movie where you can order a drink now at our theater right like uh going to a football game what all of those events that alcohol had been so such a big factor in I had to re-experience and got to re-experience without alcohol. And um, it's initially, I didn't think that was going to be a good thing. Um, but it turned out to, it is a, it's really a great thing and there's ways to find joy. Um, getting, I, I got married um, and having a wedding without drinking and yeah, is, is pretty, you know, I didn't know that that was possible, but it certainly is. And it was a good experience because you're able to really be present and enjoy um, all those moments. And so did you dive into AA or uh, I, I went to AA for uh, I didn't go through all the steps. So I, I did it for a little bit. Um, and I think AA is such an important program that it exists and it really works. And the stories I heard from other people there um, helped me, helped me today. Um, Does that mean you, you, did you not have a mentor? Did you have a mentor? Or do you no, sp- I didn't get that far okay. um, where I had a sponsor. Or, or a sponsor, sorry, yeah. Um, but I did, the thing that it, it was such a, a big deal was that I knew it existed. And so I, when I would come home from work, like sometimes I would I would be worried that I would want to go out and have a drink or something. I would just uh, that morning when I got up and went to work, I was like, "Well, you know, I'm gonna. I hope I don't want to have to go have a drink, you know, after work or something." But then having that option that I knew if that was the case, and my body started telling me I needed to have a drink, 
I could instead walk into an AA meeting. That's there's, awesome. There's an AA meeting every night in Manhattan, you know, at a different place. And if you need to go, you can find one. Um, so being able to walk into those places when you need them actually gave me the relief that I needed. And I didn't worry about it anymore. And I didn't, I didn't have to, um, I actually didn't end up needing to go have a drink. But it was that, I think, that worry that AA existing was able to eliminate for me. I noticed how much weight you lost. Well, I was, yeah. I was, when you, I, when I, you got sober, you, you dropped some pounds, too. You were, you were kind of a big boy back then. Yeah, I was, I was eating a lot better, too. <laughs> uh, I had to look better for, my, for the wedding. Uh-huh. Well, that's uh, a good motivator. I, I've, uh, I've gained a few pounds back. And you, <laughs> well. And I haven't been drinking, so. It, there we go. <laughs> yeah. And you won. You got on the, you won your, your race. Your, you, you got the votes. And, yeah. And so, you, you know, even with all the possible, you know, bad press or haters out there, you were still able to get on to the city commission. Yeah. So Good for you. Yeah. Um, people, people did, uh, we all have junk, right? Yeah. We all have we, crap. We make I mistakes. got crap and I've struggled with, you know, alcohol in my life and, mm-hmm. um, I would hope that I have a balance on it, but you know, I definitely am aware that I have the potential of being very destructive. Yep. and destructing, just being destructive and um, hurting a lot of things around me uh, if I, you know, kind of veer off that path of support that, you know, really comes from people around you loving you, mm-hmm. and, you know, a wife and, um, you know, friends that, you know, really do care for you. So that's that's just been a really good thing for me that, I, that I've noticed. It's easy to, I think, forget for me, like in uh, one of the stories I, I heard from AA was, you know, this guy, he, 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 you can fit, um, your car, your wife, your, your life, your job into a little shot glass. And if you take that shot, you're going to throw all those things away. And that, um, that stuck out, stuck, sticks out to me as really, is it worth it? Is it worth it to do that? Um, and for me, it's not, I, I value those things too much. And I value the people that have given me second chances that have helped me up when I made mistakes and I want to respect their ability to reach out and do that. And so yeah, keeps me, keeps me going, keeps me sober. Good um, man. Yeah. Good for you. So you were uh, a city commissioner during uh, a wonderful time of COVID <laughs> and yeah. I'm sure that brought many, many, more difficulties than just, you know, trying to run a city in in a, in a healthy way. Yeah. Is there any, uh, is there any insight or stories that you have of what that looked like and what were the hardest, hardest things or moments you went through? I think this is where you are. I'm supposed to say that, you know, I picked a great time to stop drinking <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> during a pandemic and crazy crisis. So, um, no, it was, I I am still trying to process everything that happened, um, and it was never any on anyone's radar. Things the norms were such. What do you think it made shaken up that it's it's hard to realize. I it's I think it's hard for us to appreciate how unique and different that last year has been, and I don't really know that we can appreciate. Are we com- it. Are we coming out? of it appreciating it or are we i don't know that it's possible that we can really 
appreciate it without some time to reflect on sure. and some space between it. Like it's, it's a, we did things that have never been done before in such a quick period of time. And we did things and shook things up in different ways that nobody's ever experienced. Um, we applied technology to, uh, survive in a way that humans never have before. And it's, it's not just technology with, uh, electronics and digital things, but technology with medicine and, and vaccines and distribution. And just, it's, it's so mind blowing that, we just went through one of the biggest events in American history. Yeah. And I De- think we're coming out of it for sure, but it's like we're still too close to it to really appreciate. Yeah, for sure. Or even be able to reflect on what damage it did cause or what it's going to cause. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, we're still jaded by it and right. um, nobody liked it. Yeah. No, no one, no one felt like, oh yeah, that really gave us good perspective on life. I hope, I wish it would have. I, that was the thing I was hoping for. I was hoping that, you know, a world pandemic would bring people to a, a stop in their life to value what's really important. And maybe some people did, of course, but I just feel as a, as a whole or as a, as a public, I feel like it caused great more distress of, and maybe and maybe just because we're we're very you know comfortable people and we don't like to be in discomfort and you know but i was hoping that people would really start to reflect on what is what is really more important in this world um you know family yeah i i think we see some of that with people choosing to um prioritize different things in their lives and Mm -hmm. that in some situations work isn't as important as it used to be um for them and that uh or certain aspects about work right right. being able to be home right um being able to choose when i can go to work i think that's going to be a really big disrupting factor for the labor forces yeah i I mean i for me it's specifically it's just you know commercial real estate you know is there a really a need for a brick and mortar for businesses right now and we're i'm think businesses are finding out very very uh clearly that you know it is possible to hire people remotely and do meetings online and do zoom meetings and we don't have to see each other face to face but maybe that's also one of those things that we'll see a couple of years from now if that's still the case. Right. Because I'm, I'm skeptical about that as well. And the people that serve us food, the people that yeah. carry our, uh, are close to us in this social distanced world that now that we've experienced, people that enter the, that six feet that serve you um, daily that we took advantage of or for granted maybe, uh, maybe they'll be... I think we're seeing them ask to be compensated more um, mm-hmm. in a higher wage uh, and talking about your servers or your waiters and those types of things or dynamics that'll, that'll f- be flushed out in the market, I think. Because, yeah. And will that work, you know, yeah. you know, and, and will, will that be um, an answer to some, some bigger great needs that we have? I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, yeah. I, what, are you able to give me kind of like a a weekly schedule that you are you are involved with being you know on the city commission? Because I, I what what does that involvement look like? Like how much time and effort weekly do you think you have to? Because you're not getting paid very much for it. So like 
what what does that look like? I get four hundred bones a month. Four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah. Four hundred dollars a month. Um. So it is That's not very much. <laughs> well, <laughs> what yeah. do you, okay. So what do you do for your four hundred bucks? Tell me. Tell me that. So on uh, obviously every Tuesday there's a meeting from five thirty till sometimes ten or so. Yeah. Uh, so. And those are work sessions or? Every other week is a work session. Every okay. other week is a legislative meeting. So it's one or the other, but they, they typically are about the same length. And how much preparation do you have to have going into those meetings? So on Just to be coherent about so the items that you're going to discuss. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk you through the week. So like, let's say Tuesday is the meeting. Okay. Um, all right, you've had the meeting, and then Wednesday you might follow up with some of the actions that were taken or respond to constituents, or there might be a ribbon cutting somewhere mm-hmm. that you've invited to, or Fort Riley has been invited because there's a change of command or there's a business meeting, something. And then Thursday, there's another couple phone calls, um, maybe enough, some of those type of events that happen. Uh, but then Thursday afternoon and Thursday evening, you get the next week's packet. Um, the next how can you have a full-time job and still do these things? Well, And how can you have a family and a full-time job and still do these things? It's do you pop- feel like it's it's very tough? I, I don't know. I think you got to find a way to... Or to, you get used to the, but you get, you the get, commitment. You get that packet on Thursday. That packet might be uh, 200 pages. It, wow. And it's, I mean, as much as 1,200 pages. Some, But it's never very... It's almost never less than 200. So at least 200 um, but that, so that that's the packet ready for the next Tuesday, right? So you get that on Thursday and of those, of those items in there, you need to be able to prioritize what is important because you're not going to be able to read 1200 pages. Not only read it, but actually digest like, it. Make, yeah. Be able to make a decision, questions, be able to make a decision yeah, about it, get the information you need before you have to take a vote on it or, or before you are in front of the person that wrote it so you can ask them questions. Yeah. Um, so, but that, that is, that is the bulk of the effort. And I think my term on the school board, which you got paid nothing to serve on the school board. I did for five years, similar process, but it was only once a month. Okay. Um, but we still got hit with that huge packet. You have to digest it, figure out what's important. And, um, so I got a little bit of training in that and find out. And so I can, I can review those items pretty quickly in a way that's manageable. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not going to say that I I don't miss things, and that's where the public also reviewing that and pointing them out to me is is important. Yeah, sure. Um, but that takes up a big part, and then you have you have Friday, you have the weekend. Um, the weekend might be events or or um, trying to in right now campaigning, right? Like sure, doing some campaign stuff, uh, and then. Monday, you're uh, back to work and back to uh, getting ready to prepare for the meeting on Tuesday and start it all over again. And why do you want to be a city commissioner? Because you, there's, uh, <laughs> I, I'm pay, I, mean, I have the capacity I to do I it. Don't, I think. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's a good thing. I think that's. There's a there's some questions that you have to ask yourself that I do anyway, um, when you're presented with options and problems, and it's. Do you have the capacity to do it? Can you do you think you can do it well? And would or would or do you know somebody else that can do it better that you can convince to do it? 
And I go through that process with anything. Like just last night, somebody asked, you know, do you, they, they had an urgent need for a family that's going to be displaced mm-hmm. and they need a tent to sleep in. Wow. I have a tent. So I asked myself, I have a tent. Okay. I, that qualifies. Um, do I need the tent? Uh, I, I can, I can do without a tent and so they can use my tent. Um, like that's the process rather than uh, I, otherwise I can't really weigh all these other subjective things. And so once that decision's made, then if I'm capable of doing it, I'm going to try to do it. And somebody needs to tell me if I'm not, because I, I also try to be honest with myself and ask other people, um, to get that perspective of, should I be doing this? Should, should this, is this going to take up too much time? And with my family, that's there, they get about 90% weight into that decision. So, sure. Um, my wife has to, uh, gets, gets to tell me and agree if this is something we should be doing with our time or not. And you're still in it. You're still going to go for it. Yeah. For another term. Yeah. Still in it. Good for you. Yeah. Now, what's it like uh, trying to work these sort of issues out with uh, people who are maybe not like-minded but are have different opinions? And um, c- can that feel lonely at times? You yeah, know, it, it can be lonely. Obviously, we don't want to have a you know five people who think exactly the same because we want to have a a diverse and healthy decisions well, and, I, and approvals. I would say that's that's why I do it. Um, and why I, when I ask myself those questions, who, who, who else would be able to do it? I have some qualifications in my life with conflict resolution just naturally have been able to, to work with people that aren't like me, that are dissent is something I really appreciate from my time in the military and what sets us apart as a country. And so being able to respect that dissent, um, listen to it, find the good in it, and find where it overlaps with other people's views or strengths or goals, and then targeting that section that we can all agree on. Because politics is the art of the possible, right? So you got to find what's possible, and you got to be able to listen to that dissent without reacting emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's I could see that from you. You're you're kind of a stoic guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, it's going to take you a lot to to get really riled up about something. I, I would assume. I I maybe um, maybe not maybe not maybe not um, at home. <laughs> yeah, that one of my my favorite well uh, heroes is is Eisenhower, right? Eisenhower is thought of as a as a moderate and yet um if you read about him and his character and things there's it's really a daily struggle for him and a purposeful struggle to find that moderation to moderate himself sure and to seek that out and that's i i try to do that um i can get very passionate and when when i first started in politics i it was it was started because of passion right about education and about um, various social issues, but at this point, it's the art of what's possible, and and those are really my strengths anyway. Of seeing the the things that people are saying um, that 
line up with each other, even though they might be screaming at each other, they don't realize that they could be working together to solve that problem. So what gives? So what keeps giving you hope without making you jaded about all these processes being long and hard and difficult, and they come with you know public opinions and public scrutiny? What keeps you going to to give you hope for a brighter future? Well, we're we're winning, right? We're, Are we? Well, I think we're winning. I, I I see it every day. We. Um, early education was important when I was on the school board and it was something I was passionate about. We're, we're doing early, edu- we have an early education center now We're you drive by the college Hill preschool on Kimball and it looks freaking amazing. Yeah. And it looked it's like definitely it different. looked like a dump when I was on the, <laughs> on the school board and we've done some amazing things. It just takes That's a little good. bit, a little bit of time and you've, you've seen the workforce housing get past, uh, That'll take a decade to to get come to fruition uh, with the sales tax, but that's six point five million dollars that are dedicated to workforce housing in Manhattan that would not have happened had I not made that stand. That's good, man. Yeah. So I uh, got to keep going, right? Yeah. And one thing we wanted I wanted to dive into was uh, the about the Afghan war that's yeah. now ending, um, and you were obviously in the military. What's what's your kind of reaction to all that going on right now, and kind of your with your story behind it because you you were involved with it and yeah so um, well it's it's the longest war um, people might not realize it's the longest war that America has been involved in and there's neither of my children one who's ten have lived in a country that wasn't at war in Afghanistan sure that's a little bit crazy and. While we were there, you know, I thought that uh, that I I have this discussion with my wife and other people that there's there's no winners in war, right? Sure. Everyone says that. I think most people say that nobody really wins when you're at war, but there are just wars, and that is something that's a political ideology um, type of thinking that comes comes back to the just cause for war and Casas Belli and different political things that go back centuries. But um, I th- I think initially Afghanistan was a just war in that they were harboring Osama bin Laden. How long that went on is not appropriate. It went on too long, um, and I'm I'm glad that it's ending. Um, unfortunately, I if it would have ended. Five years ago, I don't know that the outcome would have been any different than it is today, mm. and that the Taliban are still, you know, coming back and and taking ground that was occupied by by us, and are going to potentially um, roll back the rights of women and children. Gosh, and yeah. that, that's that's pretty devastating. So, um, but there's not anything that we necessarily could have done to stop that. We just delayed it and. And that delay, because um, Taliban is... Is that a justifiable strategy, you think? Eh, to I, delay some of those things? I, I don't know. I don't know that it is. I, if you're not going to conquer them or if you're not going to solve them or... I don't know if it's... It's it's hard to walk away from that, but it's uh, also hard to say that you should put $3 trillion into it and, and then have homeless folks in, in Manhattan, Kansas, right? It's Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I don't know if if we're going to get the return on investment, but uh, 
it certainly is not a decision that I would have been uh, making. So it is what it is. It the, is. The soldiers are not to blame here. They were doing their job mm-hmm. and I think should be respected uh, as they return and as we wrap up that war. Um, what are some of the highlights that you take from your time being involved um, <laughs> with the military? Well, one one that is real tangible is uh, when I came back from, uh, well, when I first got to Afghanistan, um, I was I had graduated K State. I was the twenty um, five year old in the platoon of eighteen and nineteen year olds. So I was the grandpa and you're the old guy and the the college kid. So they the oh you're the smart old guy. Yeah, the platoon sergeant had me learning how to do certain things for the infantry guys that they just uh, assumed I would be good at. And uh-huh. one of those was I selected our interpreter. And our interpreter, I, you know, I walked into this tent in Kandahar, uh, and it had probably 150 uh, Afghans, you know, all dressed in their uh, Afghan clothing and just hanging out on different beds and things and just kind of there like i was like oh my god what am i doing and um who are the like this it was so weird it was like selecting uh, some kind of to me growing up on a farm it was like almost going into an auction barn and picking somebody and i'm like these looking back you sounds know, awkward yeah they're not uh they're not animals but <laughs> i had to pick one that was going to work for us so sure. that person ended up coming and worked for us and stayed with us uh, for that year. And throughout that process, I was, I was kind of tasked with keeping him on um, our missions and, and things like that, keeping him aware. And so got to know him well and asked him, or he had asked all several of our platoon to help him relocate to the United States. And it took, um, he started asking me after I got back, when I got out of the military, if I would help with the application and I started helping with the application, providing recommendations. And it took six years of once a month reaching out to uh, Senator Moran's office, asking what's the status of the application. It's a special immigrant visa. And um, through that six-year period, the other interpreters that we had picked um, had been murdered. And Yikes. And the one that I had been in communication with was was being hunted. And he would tell me you know, that there was people trying to get a hold of him. Taliban was outside of his village. They were, you know, trying to get him. And, um, it was so all of a sudden after six years, he got the green light to come and he decided he wanted to relocate to Manhattan, Kansas. So did he have a family? He had a family of, he has, he had five kids okay, and a wife and they landed in Manhattan regional airport. They all, they all got to come here. They all came because okay. he, served for the United States military during nice. a time of war. And so they all got special immigrant visas. Um, they were, uh, on their pathway to citizenship and he had a child after he got here. So she is a American citizen. Okay. And so that's six, six kids, six kids. And they're <laughs> all in, they, none of them spoke English. Um, and none of them knew anything about America. And they arrived with the clothes on their back. Wow. And they arrived into Manhattan and Manhattan embraced them. How long ago was this? This was in 2017. Okay. And um, now there's over 30 uh, family members connected to that family uh, that live in Manhattan. And Wait a second. How is 
Wait. Other other family members uh, made the pilgrimage and have uh, connected. Wow. But really, we're talking about big families. So his sister came. She has nine family members. Okay. So it, it doesn't get it doesn't take many to get to thirty. Um, were they able to find an occupations here in, in so, Manhattan? Yeah. So um, my interpreter has worked for the school district and has uh, has has got his CDL. Has been driving. Has been able to do. Um, maintenance and work, and he was he was a college level instructor in Kabul, and here he was the night janitor. Yeah, and so he's worked his way up. That stinks. And he's but now they have a home. They have their own. They own their own car. Um, the kids all speak English. They're all thriving in our public schools. That's awesome. And they showed up five years ago, four years ago. Um, with the shirts on their backs, you know, mm-hmm. knowing nothing. So that, that shows you the strength of our country and the American dream is alive. It's possible. And they, they arrived having expectations of what you see on TV. Sure. But they've, they've through hard work, have thrived and been able to succeed in a way that those kids, um, those girls, are the little girls that came uh, here from Afghanistan at this day, if they were still there, the Taliban would be enslaving them. Wow. Where here, they're, they're thriving in the classrooms, um, and they're going to be, they want to be veterinarians, they want to be doctors and lawyers. They are, are going to be awesome Americans. Wow. Yeah. What a cool story, man. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that and being a part of that. that yeah. Hopefully that, a big part of that uh, health of that family, being here in Manhattan, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, Manhattan's been great in the sense that um, we don't we we we've wrapped our arms around it um, around those those folks without knowing why you know a lot of for for several years I didn't tell anybody what, how I knew this individual because sure. he wasn't safe and we didn't post pictures and we didn't share gotcha. images because the Taliban was still you know he had family that's why they're trying to come they they, they would take they would kill his family in afghanistan if they knew that he he was here just in retribution so um we were very careful but during that period of time it didn't stop manhattan from helping like they helped and donated furniture donated food did a lot of a lot of things uh behind the scenes to make sure there was health care and um the kids got to places where they were getting caught up in school Mm -hmm. so it it was very important cool man yeah. So if you do get reelected, if you do have another, what's another two years, is that correct? On or Well, it, it could be four. It depends on if, if I get uh, the the amount of votes. The top two people get four years and okay. the third person gets two. Gotcha. So if you get if you get another two years or four years, mm-hmm. um, what are you looking forward to with serving with the city? Um, what's kind of on your, uh, your wish list or your bucket list for, for what you want to accomplish or get done? So continuing some of the things that we've done, start, got started with workforce housing, seeing housing affordability and the, the entrepreneurial uh, stuff that goes I along. I hate to tell you, but I don't think housing is becoming any more affordable in the last year right now. It is just crazy expensive. Right, right. But access to programs that help yes. people um, get into housing, I guess. But the, the, Correct. the workforce housing um, that we passed, that program, so a housing advisory board, things that... The system, putting the systems in place 
that will help address that problem. That's one thing. Um, the other part that I'm looking forward to is uh, doing a little bit more of a focus on uh, veterans and uh, veteran suicide prevention. I'm working with the governor's council right now to make Manhattan uh, a model uh, for the state in veteran suicide prevention. Okay. And then tapping into want to work with the city prosecutor and the city uh, attorney's office for uh, veterans court, gotcha. uh, veterans treatment court. So those those are kind of the bigger um, types of projects that take time. And I have some unique background to push. And I think I should while I'm in this position is with housing. Food insecurity is another I'm working with the master food um, plan so we can connect all the resources, food, housing, and veterans. Is there, you know, kind of an awareness that people aren't aware of with this suicide prevention and, you know, what, what, how, um, gosh, uh, how susceptible veterans are to possibly taking their lives? What's, what's been your experience with that? What, what do people not know, I guess? Uh, people probably don't know how quickly uh, it escalates from somebody saying that they're that they're somebody acting different, showing signs that they're depressed, to when they've made a plan to execution of that plan. It's ten minute window, and a lot of people wow don't, people don't realize that the Department of Defense have made that dis- distinction through research that um, once somebody says that they have a plan, really it's a it's an immediate emergency like you have 10 minutes to intervene um, before that person attempts to take their life and so that's serious and that's, that's that, is that, serious. that means that you can't say I'm well I helped them because they I call I told them to call Pawnee or or get help uh, you know and they, they're gonna have an appointment in three months sure it's it's a 10 minute window and you need to get them uh, to a better place. Is there an answer to that 10 minutes? I mean, is there a solution for that 10 minutes, I guess? Uh, so having those those touch points, and that's the thing I think that will work with the, the governor's office and nationally SAMHSA to start to implement touch points in our community where uh, places that you might find a veteran that's uh, showing some signs, mm-hmm. and it might be touch points like bars. Like, they might be out drinking. They might be might be a one of the gun shops that uh you know i i'm a gun owner no problem but if i you know i'm thinking of places where does a veteran go if they've made a plan and they want to kill themselves it might be one of those places sure and so those people we want to be able to empower them give them um the tools necessary to intervene quickly um identify those signs and help those individuals get care appropriately before they are taking action in their hands and K-State's a big factor in this. Fort Riley's a partner. Um, and K-State, you know, has had some suicides in their parking lots among veterans. Uh, so K-State police and just, we, we all have to be present and realize that it's not, it's not an issue where somebody else is going to fix it for you. You have to, you have to intervene and it might be uncomfortable, but one of the biggest things you can do is ask them if they're thinking about suicide and, do they have a plan? If they have a plan, it, it's appropriate to call nine one one. Sure, um, because you only have ten minutes. Yeah. Well, hey man, I think that's time. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate 
all the stuff that you've been working on, especially with the city and um, all the families that you've impacted. It's really been a pleasure being your friend and getting to know you deeper. And uh, I really enjoy our time together. And I, and, you know, for everybody out there that's listening to this that wants to know Aaron, uh, please be on the lookout. I'm sure you're going to have speaking or events where you can explain what you're all about politically and um, what you're about, you know, personally. Um, yeah. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. This has been good. Thanks, guys, for listening to the end. I always appreciate that as well. Uh, hopefully this was a good detox to your day. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.